Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We are here in the mobile Kintech studio at the Clayton Public House in Langley. Enjoying some football and talking hockey as we normally do. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net as uh, it's beautiful Thursday afternoon, American Thanksgiving. We've had football on during the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, us Canadians, all we can do is look at the NHL standings and be like, so who's making the playoffs? <laughs> <laughs> who's in and who's out? <laughs> Forget the turkey. Who's the turkey yeah. of the NHL season? I think that's Which the, turkeys are missing the playoffs? It's, it's the Edmonton Oilers. Oh. That's one of the turkeys. Uh, yes, I would I would say so. Nick Kiprios is going to join us. Uh, we'll also have Randy Janda coming up after five o'clock. Talk uh, some hockey. Talk some Canucks. Speaking of turkeys, yep. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's a lot of reaction coming out of last night. We did the post game on the uh, uh, on uh, on the Canucks and Avalanche game. The loss to the Colorado Avalanche, and uh, there is, I'll use this word again, maybe I'll overuse it at some point, there is a, a myriad of takes that have come in on my uh, <laughs> a myriad. my uh, my Twitter mentions. <laughs> Legions of takes. <laughs> yes. Uh, several takes uh, on what's happening with the Canucks in their forward group right now. Uh, I didn't get much pushback uh, on uh, tweeting out that uh, maybe it's, it's time the Canucks give a different look to their second line with Miller and Besser than what we've seen with Phil DiGiuseppe. And also, after uh, we talked about Andre Kuzmenko maybe being the main culprit for that go-ahead goal for the Avalanche in the third period, maybe it's time for Kuzmenko to get demoted down to the fourth line. Now... Wow. I don't know Kuzmenko if I... Kuzmenko to the fourth line. I don't know if I necessarily agree with any of those takes, but... There was a myriad of them in my Twitter mentions last night. All of this to say, Sat, I think it's clear. Like, okay, we're 20 games in. Canucks probably going to the playoffs with the way that they've started this season and the cushion they've given themselves. All of those things still valid. But I'm looking at this team, and 20 games in, it's more clear that they probably need another impact forward if they're really going to do some damage over the next couple of years in terms of taking that step in the postseason and really pushing towards something then absolutely right like we're talking about a team that is going to have to add another high-end player and if you look at the way they're playing now and what they have they're they're missing some pace on their wings as good as mckayev has been we're, we're seeing that at times the mobility is not quite where it needs to be in terms of his pace overall yep. but he's a guy that really brings that quickness and speed to the line but Besser's not the fastest guy. PDG's not the fastest guy. And Kuzmenko right now, he's not slow or anything, but he's not quite making the same. He's not scoring. I think, yeah. honestly, that's the issue. He's not scoring. And because the question around him has always been, if he's not scoring, what else is he doing to really help the team and facilitate play? He's been good offensively overall with the point production. But he's not this super fast, you know, quick-to-pucks winger, really, right? They need somebody with some pace or somebody that's just a higher-end type of performer. And they need... They need that in terms of pushing a team like Colorado over seven games in the playoffs. I like what I saw against them last night. I think they can hold their own. But if they're going to be a true 
hey, can we compete with this team and beat them in a seven-game series? They need a bit more, I'd say, speed, but also overall talent on the wing. It's um, it's really been missing. And, and yeah, you feel it because Elias Patterson isn't playing as well as he was at the start of the season. What's the injury that he's nursing? All these different questions we've mm-hmm. had around Patterson. But now that the goals have started to dry up, they're not scoring for fun like they were earlier this season. The, the power plays dried up a little bit. It puts a little bit more of a microscope on where they can be a little bit better. And Kuzmenko just with three goals. Phil DiGiuseppe hasn't had a ton of offense, and he's just not getting to his spots in the same way that he was right at the start of the season. You know, it's not that they can't get by with what they currently have, but when you're ultimately trying to get better, those are clearly areas that this team can upgrade on. And sure, it's one thing, maybe you move Anthony Beauvillier up. Another thing, Nils Hoaglander, six goals now, all at five-on-five, joints leader on the team with those six five-on-five goals. But... If you do give him a chance in the upper upper parts of the lineup, is it anything we haven't seen before from him? That's kind of the question you're asking about with the with the Vancouver Canucks right now, and it just feels like if the, if they're going to upgrade, it's going to have to come from external. Yes, long term, or at least I'd say immediate term. Yes, it's going to have to be from outside the organization internally. It's the same cast of characters we're talking about. Lakira Mackey's a few years away. Yeah. Put Colson, we'll see where his game's at. I mean, you look at Archdeep Baines, is he maybe a candidate to do something? But we're not talking about immediate right away, top six, first line, push the pace type of players, but guys that can help facilitate something. Long term, the Mack is going to take some time. But it's going to have to come via trade if you want to really take that big step. Or maybe free agency next year if you can clear the space a little bit. Guys like Garland don't quite make sense. Bavilia is going to be out of contract at the end of the season. Once you sign Pedersen or Hironic, what else do you have to play with to try to improve those players? And I think if you look at the types of teams Rutherford had in Pittsburgh, the types of players he really liked having, there is more pace that they want on the wings. And as good as um, a player like Phil Kessel was in his prime, it was still about having guys like Brandon Tanev yeah. in the bottom six, right? So you know that the type of speed profile they want to have and the aggressiveness profile they want to have but up front too especially I think what they're looking to try to add is somebody who can be a big time scorer too you know and those are hard things to get so we can talk about they need that to compete with Colorado how how realistic is it that they're able to add that type of piece long term via trade it's um it's going to be It'll be difficult to, to add that piece. I think finding the right one is always difficult. We talked about Travis Konechny last night. I've always been a Travis Konechny fan. I think his game has really taken another step these last couple of years under John Tortorella. You see a different type of pop and power yeah. to his game, even though he's not the biggest guy. He's not, um, you know, he's not afraid and does play a physical game, even though he yeah. isn't the biggest player and so he has a lot of those traits that I think would fit really well into the Canucks top six right now as a kind of hard skill type of player other than that you know we're still in that 
awkward point of the season where you're kind of wondering which pieces are going to shake loose from teams as we get a little bit later on and teams figure out whether or not they're going to sell or not this year. Yeah, and last night in terms of Colorado, and I don't think Colorado is at their absolute best either. I mean, for the players. They're also looking for a big-time scorer to add to their team. Well, they're missing Landeskog due to injury. He's a big part of their team. Lekkonen's been out as well. So if they're completely at full strength, then Landeskog obviously is out long-term. But once they get healthy, say, in a year or so, they're going to be even tougher to beat, even a stronger team to face. So when you see Canucks go up against them and they held their own, we saw in certain aspects where that pace, especially that power on the wings, wasn't quite there. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be your wing. Can it be a center? Because mm-hmm. we know with JT Miller, he can play center, he can play wing. Like You have that flexibility with him that if you do add a, a center that can also be somebody who can drive play and really give fortify your team then all of a sudden it's almost asset prohibitive though to add a center to this team it it is but yet it isn't jt is 30 years old yeah he can play center no doubt right yep but we know he can also be an absolute killer down the wing Mm -hmm. so if you're looking at succession plans too that jt miller in three to four years isn't it ideal for him to transition to wing right where he can kind of really focus on being on those things, and yeah. that way you're not like, losing the two-way ability. He's not going to play center for the entirety of his seven-year contract, I don't think. I mean, he, he could, maybe, right? Yeah. But in terms of optimizing his output and getting the best out of him, I think at some point you're going to have to, you're, you have to have a succession plan who, who your second center is behind Pedersen, or at least somebody there, right? That's hard to find as well. But I, I think in terms of where this organization is going, I think they would be very open to big additions up front, they have to have the same type of profile, though. I think they want to have the speed, they want to have the play-driving ability, and somebody that can help like score goals more consistently. Because, again, if we look at now what, what this team has, as good as Brock Besser's been in that game against Colorado, now he won battles, he did some good things in that game. But did he look like he belonged in terms of these are the biggest game-breakers in this game, and these are the guys that are going to make the difference. And he is he a guy, if he scores 30-plus goals, you feel comfortable paying the type of salary to that you expect the game-breaker to have if it's $7 million-plus long-term? Yeah. Like Brock Besser, even with the hot start that he's had to this season, I don't see him... And hey, I haven't done the math on uh, you know cap percentages and all those types of things. So maybe seven million in a couple of years is uh, not quite what seven million is mm-hmm. as of this very moment. But I've never like I I just I haven't seen enough yet to say that Brock is going to earn himself a raise on what he's currently being paid on a year to year basis. And whether that's here or elsewhere, yeah. And how willing is the team to do it and I'm not even trying to do the hey let's talk about the trade Besser thing it's more about one of the things I mentioned before the game with Colorado was I think watching this game it can give us a good indication of okay where is Vancouver at and it was a lot of positives there really were Mm -hmm. but there's still some real lines of what the Canucks need to not only say maybe win a game or two against Colorado but truly beat them in a seven game series yeah and that's also assuming, as much as we talk about Vancouver getting healthy, Colorado also getting healthy. So they have that to them, too. They're only getting stronger. And we haven't seen Vancouver play LA or, or Vegas yet. And I do think as much as those teams, the Canucks can hold, hang with those teams and maybe beat them on some, on some, on, on some nights, there's certain strengths and advantages those teams have. And that's something that this team still has to kind of figure out over the next little bit. And, you know, 
again, I'm not trying to do the go and trade Brock Besser thing, but one of the positives of this year is all these guys playing well, upping their value, and giving you some real options here, maybe later this season or perhaps this offseason to allow you to take that next step as a team. There's not a lot of... Um, like, there's not a lot of staples on the roster. You know? It's Pedersen, Hughes, Miller, Demko. Yeah. And... Mikheyev fits long term what they want. With Kuzmenko, I think Kuzmenko. But even Mikheyev, he's only got two years left after this one. Like no. it wasn't a long, super long term contract. No, and, and are you giving him a long term extension afterwards? No, until probably not. Probably not. Right. So you're right. It's it's not about you don't have a ton of guys here who are necessarily long term. Kuzmenko's a swing guy. Yeah. And Kuzmenko ultimately, if he gets a scoring touchback by the time we get to the end of the season. I mean, we're going to sit here and talk about, hey, he's fine. There's nothing wrong with him. Here's a 30-goal score you feel very comfortable with. But if he has any sort of issues in, in, getting, in getting his offense back on track, is he a guy they feel like they should invest in long term? And I think this isn't something you're making a, a judgment on yeah. in the next month or two, not even by the deadline. I think it's a judgment you make at the end of the season. But, again, like, it's trying to figure out, like, who, who are these guys that can truly help this team take that next step? And right now, if Kuzmenko was scoring at the way he scored in the past or the last couple of years, we probably look at that game against Colorado and say, you know what, well, maybe Vancouver can pull this off in seven games. It's uh, It was pretty close last night. And, um, you know, being more clinical in big moments is certainly something that I think would help this roster. And it's a continued learning process for them. But... They need to get Andre Kuzmenko going. They do. And yeah. I, I think there is – it's it's not that I, I hate everything Kuzmenko's done this year. I think he's done some really good things. He's still sowing flashes. I know the puck's not going in for him. You know, he hit the post uh, – what was it, Saturday against San Jose. Mm -hmm. But, you know, isn't San Jose the last team he scored against? I mean, this guy is – you got to be able to score against other teams other than San Jose right now yeah. for, for, for the Vancouver Canucks who are trying to be better and better and better. And I, I guess – you know, the, the worry coming into this season, maybe worry is too strong of a word is with, with this player was we know Rick Tockett has been happy to work with him, but there's clearly a level that Tockett is expecting of this player that he's not yet getting. And how does that process, how does that uh, relationship build over the course of the season? Or on the flip side, you know, fall apart as Kuzmenko gets tired of hearing the same things. You know, that's how relationships can get damaged. Kuzmenko, to his credit, has constantly been good to work with and been positive about it. But he's embraced every challenge. He has embraced every challenge, but is there a is there a breaking point if there is not enough progression here over the next little while? Ultimately it's a show me league. You gotta perform. Yeah. You know, and for him, with his style of play, the bottom line it matters so much. And how again, like I don't think he's doing too much that's too dissimilar from last year. He's had some bad moments. He had some bad moments last year. But I think he's also trying his he's he's making a real earnest effort to play to the system, yeah. to be a part of the staples. He makes some mistakes here and there, it happens, but I think he's actually been a cleaner player this year than last year, mm -hmm. but the puck's just not going in for him. And, and I thought even last night people were super critical of him, but he, he had a few scoring chances. He made a, some really good plays along the wall. He back-checked a couple of times. He created a couple of good chances for his teammates. That, I mean, if Mikheyev scores on the one chance he creates, he yeah. throws the puck into the middle uh, once to Patterson. If he can convert, we might be sitting here looking at, okay, look, look at the playmaking from Kuzmenko, right? So the margins are kind of fine. And that's why I'm not panicking on him. It's more about, you know, just something to track as the season goes on here, especially with the coach, you know, singling out moments when he's on the ice and him not being happy with the play, calling out that third goal where Patterson, Mikheyev, and uh, Kuzmenko were on the ice. And particularly Kuzmenko and Mikheyev yeah. 
you know, allowing the middle of the ice not to be protected the way it should have been. So you're right to point out these are the things to kind of keep an eye on. But also the the one positive, I think, and, you know, not to do the when you get healthy thing because you're always going to have some injuries, but w- if you have Hugh Suter and you have uh, Teddy Bluger, yeah. I think it gives you a chance now in your bottom six to to be pretty decent. And we saw Suter with Garland and Joshua find some chemistry. Bluger now is finding some chemistry with those guys. But if Bluger can go down and play with Lafferty and Hoaglander, for instance, yeah, you know, like to me, that's a really interesting line, you know. And you can get Pew Suter together with Garland. Now it's a competition of Joshua Bevilier, who's in the lineup with these guys. You know, it's it's a bit of a a contest getting into the lineup. But I think that's that's an advantage this team is going to have against a lot of opponents, where their bottom six with their centers and having Lafferty and when Hoaglander's playing well and Garland's playing well, now that's a bit more play driving in the bottom six without maybe the higher end scoring, obviously, yeah. than a lot of teams have. And that can allow Vancouver, as for their overall team game, to allow them to overcome some of the shortcomings in terms of overall talent and pace on the wings up front. A uh, couple of texts coming in. Pat Kane says hi. 650, 650. The, the question with Pat Kane is, if he's willing to sign a league minimum contract, yeah. fill your boots, great. Yeah. I just don't know if he wants to do that and if he wants to do that in Vancouver. It uh, doesn't sound like he necessarily does, and it also sounds like all of the favorites happen to be in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, so I don't think it's a realistic, but I've, I've been mentioned, I said it on under, overrated, underrated. I, I would be completely down with exploring bringing Patrick Kane here. Um, Gary from North Burnaby. Guys, Hoaglander should be playing up. He has beaten a lot of defenders with his speed. Kuzmenko's had a slow start. Do you think that puck to the chin will make him less aggressive in front of the net? That is uh, Gary from North Burnaby. We've talked about Kuzmenko already. I think, uh, look, his game, it will be fine on the offensive end. I haven't seen too much that really scares me other than puck's not going in for him. It's more still the little moments defensively every once in a while for Kuzmenko. But with Nils Hoaglander, scoring as well as he is, has he earned a shot higher up the lineup? Or is this a situation you're just happy with the player and what he's giving you and the role he's been given? So I don't mind maybe giving him a a little bit of time in PDG spot. The question, though, is... I also liked what Bovillier's done there in the small sample we've been shown. Bovillier took that bad penalty... Outside of that, he created a he got the assist on the Hoaglander goal. He created a couple of chances too. Um, I think he was aggressive on the forecheck. He uses speed. Like he he played one of his best. He's played. Yeah. He's had his best stretch of the season the past few games here. Bivillier has, I think, in terms of his overall performance. So I'm you know you're, I'm fine with that too. But right now with Hoaglander too, like he's having so much success on that line. He's finding an identity there. Don't fix what ain't broke. Yeah, well, why not try to get those guys a bit more ice time? Yeah, Lafferty and Hoaglander, there seems to be something there. Yeah, right. And I think once you can get Suter back, and if you get Garland there with those guys, like to me, Garland, Bluger, and and uh, Hoaglander could be interesting. And if you want to say add a bit more offense and make that more into a checking line, you can you can make some other adjustments. But I, I kind of think of Hoaglander as a player that right now he's more of a focal point in the type of bottom six role he plays in. Why not just try to get him more minutes in those situations? Instead of trying to like, okay, now go and try to play in the top six. Get get your footing. Start building on these good performances. String a few together. Get your details in order. Gain the trust of the head coach. I just don't know if he's ready to, to 
play at a complete enough game yet for him to be able to make the most out of that opportunity in the top six. But I'm not against giving him a run. I just think at the same time, just just let him let him cook where he's cooking. Um, a lot more uh, texts coming in. Kuzmenko on with Miller and Hoaglander and move Besser up with Pedersen. And Mikheyev, that is from Leaf Hater Steve. This text, first line needs a grinder like Hoaglander to win puck battles. Why not switch Kuzmenko with Di Giuseppe? There is uh, that text. Um, it's clear the first line right now isn't giving you much of a first line feel. That I believe has come mostly down to, and not to put everything on his shoulders, because it hasn't been that long that he's been slumping really mm-hmm. but of course a line's going to struggle when Elias Pettersson isn't going and right now Elias Pettersson is not going you could put Hoaglander there you could put whomever it's if Pettersson's not driving the line like we normally see Pettersson drive that top line it's not going to have the same pop and the same effectiveness we're used to seeing it. And that's just, that's just the reality, of course, of, of all the great teams. Like, yeah. if McKinnon's not going, it's going to affect the, the uh, uh, Avs, obviously, mm-hmm. and we can look at a lot of situations like that. However, it comes McDavid back. David not going for the Oilers? Yeah, and you're seeing that in a big yeah. way. But nonetheless, the president of the club, Jim Rutherford himself, said, we don't have enough depth to, over- to withstand major injuries to our best players. And that type of depth is in bottom six depth. That's legitimate, yeah. hey, we have other game breakers that if one goes down, we have enough to be able to hold our own. That's where you see the issue here, that in a smaller version of it, because Pedersen is playing and still giving you something, but with him not being at his best, who's there picking up the slack to really elevate a line? And right now, that's been absent, and that's what leads to these bigger questions about what else do you need to take this roster to that next level. Um, this text comes in uh, on Nils Hoaglander as well. I think Hoaglander's style fits better in the bottom six, constant pressure, and take advantage of opportunities. I, I will say, um, you know, the bottom six has done fine. You know, like even last night – Arguably one of the best chances they created was Garland in the third period, getting the puck to the net, and Dakota Joshua just completely whiffed on it, pulled a Vladdy Guerrero Jr. in a big spot. Yeah, and And he (laughs) scores that, and we're talking about a 3-3 game. Yeah. And who knows how it ends, right? Um, It it changes history a little bit, but... And, and the fourth line, they obviously scored. Like, Hoaglander got that goal. They, they, you know, when they were together, they had some real pop. And then eventually Anthony Bovillier got moved up to the line, up the lineup, and Phil DiGiuseppe was bumped down. And then there's JT Miller. You know, like, he's, I think, lately, as Pedersen's game has dropped a little bit, Miller has almost taken it upon himself to – Really try to put the team on his shoulder a little bit more up front. Last night we saw it, you know, even Saturday against the Sharks, or sorry, Monday against the Sharks, that third period, it was like Miller was like, we're not losing this game. Like, we're not letting this – I know it was only a one-goal lead after, you know, they they scored early in the period on the power play, the Sharks. After that, it was like Miller was like, no, we're not (laughs) – this is getting out of hand. This is too close for my liking right now, and he just kind of put the team on his shoulders. He's he's able to elevate – when the moment necessitates it. It feels like he's handling more of the burden, but the reason you're not seeing, again, it falls on Pedersen. The top six isn't having as much success because of Pedersen. It puts a little bit more of a load on on everybody else, and that's something that is happening with the Canucks right now. Although, 
Um, they're three and four over their last seven with a nine fifty eight PDO sat. So oh, they can be they, they can be about a five hundred team even with a terrible PDO. So wait, the PDO was nine fifty and they've won three out of uh, three seven. out of seven. Yeah, okay, which puts them at what like forty some percent, which is not great. No, but I mean. So with 950 PDO, they still won three games. And but they, they can hold their head. Uh, they can right. kind of uh, tread water with a with a crappy PDO. Hey, beat. Uh, you know, I think the Seattle game is important. I really think the Seattle game is important. Yeah, you've done a great job of building a cushion. It's kind of a sneaky big game. The Friday game it is. against Seattle. It is sneaky big, and if you win that game, all of a sudden you you push that uh, cushion to ten points, and you have a game in hand and. Hey, you I mean you know? Sorry, you put it to push it to eight points. You have a game in hand, and and it starts putting you know, puts real pressure on Seattle to try to play catch up. But they win and it's four points despite the game in hand. It, it takes away some of that cushion. And if you win, considering this poor PDO run, then you're four and four in your last eight. Uh, we're at the Clayton Public House. Dan Rachel, Satyar Shaw, Canuck Central. Pre-game to post-game, Clayton Public House is your home of football. Catch all the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors. The Clayton Pub. Dot com. We just got to watch the uh, Dolly Parton halftime show here on one of these massive projectors. It's a great spot we've got here at the Clayton. Vancouver Warriors lacrosse. Don't miss out on the best show in town for as low as $25 at tickets.vancouverwarriors.com. Nick Kiprios is next on Sports at 650. Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. We're in the Mobile Kintec studio at the Clayton Public House. 188th and Fraser Highway. Pre-game to post-game, the Clayton Public House is your home. Of football, catch all the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors, theclaytonpub.com. It's uh, American Thanksgiving. The Cowboys up against the Washington football team. I wish they kept that name. Uh, but they did not. I know see, better than uh, Commanders. Commanders is a terrible name, like, and uh, like I didn't hear the name. I read the name. I was like, <laughs> Commanders are commandeers. Like, what? How do we? How do we even say this? <laughs> and uh, Seahawks and Forty ers are coming up a little bit later on. We're here at the uh, Clayton Pub on location for uh, to enjoy the football here on this uh, on this Thursday. Uh, let's bring in our next guest, Sportsnet's Nick Kiprios. Uh, what's happening, Kipper? Dan, Sat, how are you guys? We're good. Uh, are you diving into Turkey later or what? You know what? I uh, Yes, the answer is yes. And if I'm not <laughs> diving in in about 12 or 15 minutes, my American wife will have me by the neck. Oh. <laughs> Duly get... noted. We'll let you go in 10 minutes on the dot here, Kipper. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Uh, gravy or cranberry sauce? That's all I want to know. Oh, <laughs> you know what? I'm all gravy. I Let's find go. the cranberry a little too sweet. Hundred <laughs> percent. I'm I'm the same way. Well, who needs the cranberry sauce? Just lather me up with the gravy. That's all I need. Um, it's it. It's... Hey, phrasing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, Nick Kiprios, our guest. So, uh, yeah, you know, it, it was wild last night. Like the the Canucks and Colorado Avalanche. You know, here we kind of viewed it as uh, the measuring stick type game for the the red hot Vancouver Canucks coming out the gates and looking like one of the better teams in in the Western Conference and really up until late in the third period Kipper it was it was a super close game I think the uh maybe we're a little bit biased here in Vancouver but curious on your take uh have you seen the Canucks hold their own yeah you know what um 
I, I watched last night's game, and yeah, the, the outcome, and you know, the the breaks or the lack of of bounce or whatever you want to say that ended up, you know, in the last twenty minutes, uh, Vancouver did every much their part last night to to prove to everybody that uh, their start is in the fluke and they can run with a, a deeper team like Colorado. So, you know, this is November. I mean, think about the, the hockey ahead of the Canucks to get that much better. Or if Jimmy Rutherford, uh, you know, and Al- Alvin tweak the lineup uh, between now and March, plenty of room. But as far as what you saw for the majority of the game, that that was a Vancouver Canuck team that can run toe to toe. So mm-hmm. yeah, not, I'm sure fans aren't happy with the, uh, the outcome or, you know, the fact that they haven't accumulated much points in the last week. Um, but I saw enough to say that uh, this is Vancouver looks like one of the deeper teams in the national hockey league right now. And I know Kipper, we've talked about how hard it is to make deals right now, but I think in terms of what you mentioned with Rutherford and with Alvin, seeing the Canucks hang with Colorado and, and play the way they did despite losing, and yes, they have some shortcomings, it should almost give them more courage to not be afraid of making the type of additions they need if the opportunity arises. Well, I, I certainly think the same way, and you know, most clubs, no matter what, are at the mercy of your, your top players. And, you know, Vancouver's top players looks like they've been shot out of a cannon and it doesn't appear like it's, it's a fluke or, you know, it's, it's going to stop anytime soon, you know, for, for Quinn Hughes now to do what he's done in the first 20 games uh, and show people that, that he's at a a next level um, is ample reason to excite not only the management team, but the fan base to say, you know, not why us, but why not us uh, in the next year or, or two? Um, as long as uh, you're getting next-level stuff from, from Pedersen, from Quinn, from J.T. Miller, from Brock Besser, uh, then they, they, can, they can go. They can go, and they're doing it with uh, also, by the way, another star, you know, in, in Demko. Um, and he's, he looks like he's just getting warmed up in his career. So a lot of, lot of good things a lot of good vibes coming out of vancouver there really is and you know i think we always knew that this team could score but uh it's it's defensively you know uh getting rid of some of the cheating in their game uh has has really helped this year i think a, a large part of that goes to to rick Tockett, and even in in a, in a larger sense like across the league the the more i watch uh, you're seeing it with with edmonton right now you see it with a lot of teams I mean, there's just there's just not a lot of teams that get a ton of buy-in defensively on the defensive side of the puck kipper, and if your team has that, if your coach can instill that into the roster, I mean it's gonna it's gonna set you up to at least you know be able to to have a high floor as a team and and help you win a lot of games that way. Yeah, and I just think of the way you know Rick Tockett's conducted himself throughout his career, and the fact that he's been on championship teams, uh, you know, been around some of the best players in the history of the game. That he's 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 not old enough where you look at him and think that the game's passed, and he's not young enough to uh, you know truly not understand where these these. Uh, you know where, where where the game's headed. So, I, I think for Rick, he's just he's got the perfect 
temperament now for this hockey club with a little bit of old, a little bit of new. And he understands the kids today where, you know, they, they've grown up with skills coaches. They've grown up with put the puck in the net and find different ways to do it. But, you know, the, 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 the smaller details now that he's been able to instill um, has really shown, shown in, in those first 20 games. And I just think that right now there's an understanding that uh, there, there's a commitment, uh, you know, to do the little things that don't show up. And, uh, you know, you can't necessarily ask for a like on Instagram because no one will notice them outside of old school people. Uh, and they work. They still work. I look at the Washington Capitals, you know, in Carberry, and he's got Kirk Muller, who's really maybe a, a Rick Tockett type. They're not scoring goals. And there are a lot of nights that you're not, you're, they're not, they're not highlight real. Ovechkin slowed down. Everybody slowed down there, but they've got a, a top goals against average. They got a top mm-hmm. penny killing. They have structure and you can have success. And then on the other hand, you got the Edmonton Oilers with guys coming off of uh, 60 goal seasons, 150 points. And uh, they're sitting at the bottom and, uh, Defense wins. Goaltending coming out of your net is the way you win this uh, in this league. And I think uh, I think Talk has done a good job of reminding you know his players that. Well, even uh, even the Bruins, you know, you look at the, their team on paper, and it's like how how <laughs> how do they keep winning as much as they do? But you know, they just yeah. they have their standards of defending, and and they they don't let up. It's the opposite for the Oilers. I know you got uh, hockey Twitter going a little bit with your uh, with your article in the Toronto Star on on the Oilers. It's uh, but I, I don't think anything you wrote was was all that wrong. You know, this team can't defend; they can't get a save, and I just I I, I don't know. I don't know how they turn this around. You know, you, you can put as much uh, pressure as you want on Drysaddle and McDavid. They can't. They can't get this ship turned around with the way that team is playing hockey right now. No, and their frustration is evident on the bench. And uh, yeah. you know, they can't play every minute. This isn't basketball. This isn't a pitcher that gets to control uh, pitches or a quarterback who dictates where the ball goes on every play. Um, these are guys that still are playing 23, 24 minutes a night, but when they're not, um, it's, it's a hard watch for them. And I, I, I don't know if it's fixable right now, guys. Um, it's got to come within, yeah. within the room, but it just appears like that, that blue line uh, with Darnell Nurse and uh, uh, Evan Bouchard can't consistently defend every night and uh there's no amount of offense that uh mcdavid or dry can bail them out with uh kipper appreciate your time as always thanks for this enjoy that turkey hey guys i really appreciate it and uh happy american thanksgiving to you know some of the people that uh are around the vancouver area 100 percent. thanks for this kipper there he goes uh it's nick kiprios joining us here on uh, on Canuck Central, the Oilers are the biggest story in the National Hockey League for all of the wrong reasons. Through 18 games, they have just five wins. They have just 11 points. 
They are nine, actually ten points back of the Seattle Kraken for the final wild card spot in the Western Conference. American Thanksgiving. You've reached this first checkpoint. And it's not even just like you're a handful of points out. You are five games back. And yeah, you've still got 64 games remaining. But we know. Maybe this market knows better than others how difficult it is to have to jump over all of those teams with three-point games. They got to play at a 106-point pace for the rest of the year, which is essentially what they were last year as a team, to get to 95, which was the playoff bar last year. Yeah, and, I mean, I can see Drysaddle and McDavid be able to do it, but it's just they're running out of real estate, and McDavid's not 100%. Uh, dry settles at the level we've seen at the past. Their goaltending is the big thing. I mean, you know, to pull off the Blues, you kind of need uh, that need Jordan, Jordan Bennington. Bennington. And you need to play better as a team. And they've shown neither is possible right now. So until you get at least one of those, it's hard to even begin the thought process of, hey, what does a real run at, at making the playoffs look like? Because a 106-point pace does not seem ridiculous for this team. Coming into the season, you would not have thought them getting 106 <laughs> points. At the end. Like coming into the year, did you think it was ridiculous for Edmonton to get 106 points? No. So having 106 I mean, points. How many? How many people had the Oilers outside of a top three spot in the Pacific? I certainly did. Coming didn't. into the season. No, I mean, listen, I had them go into the Cup final to play uh, the New York Rangers. Yeah. And I mean, so that's not happening. So I mean, I, I look at this team and. I say 106 points is possible in theory, yeah. but nothing they're doing gives you any assurance they're going to actually pull that off. And you get to a point, and you mentioned like last year, it's like, okay, great. We can sit here and talk about you can get on this run and make it, but what are we seeing in terms of their process and the guys they have that makes you think this is even – what evidence are they showing you this is, this is just around the corner? They're not showing it. So until you show real evidence that, hey, our run is around the corner, you can't even entertain the idea of doing it. And that's kind of where they're at now. And, you know, the last few games I've been mentioning, still Edmonton, they have a chance, they have a chance, but now they lost four in a, five in a row again. Like, what are you going to do at this point? Uh, I, I, I don't know what you can do. The the saving grace for the Edmonton Oilers right now. They won it, three in a row, and then uh, they lost three in a row, and they've lost seven of their last ten. Yeah, and they just they give up goals for fun. You know, whether – like some of it is on the goaltender, but again, I don't care what their expected goals say. I don't care all of these metrics, whatever. Watch the Edmonton Oilers and tell me that they can defend – they cannot. They give up way too many rush chances. They give up odd man rush after odd man rush. They don't defend well in their own end. And their goalies don't make saves. It is a recipe for complete and utter disaster, and that's where they're at. But I look at this team, and I would say their one saving grace is a lack of depth in the Western Conference right now, right? Nobody's like, running away with it. Nobody's running away with it. It is their one saving grace to this point in the season. Minnesota hasn't looked good. Nashville looks very mediocre. Calgary looks very mediocre. The Coyotes, yeah, I mean, I kind of pegged them as a 500 team coming into the season. Guess what? They're about a 500 yeah. team. The Anaheim Ducks, they've played above expectation, and they've now fallen below 500. Seattle, I expected a regression. 
and they've seen it so far this year. St. Louis, they've actually played above what I expect of the St. Louis Blues, and some of that is because they've gotten outstanding goaltending from Jordan Bennington so far this year. Like, that's it. That's that's the Western Conference right now. Those are the teams that the Oilers are going to have to overcome, and if it's really like there's two things that can give you maybe a little bit of confidence about the Oilers, McDavid and Dreisaitl, and the fact that the Western Conference beyond some of these top teams, like we spoke about yesterday with the Canucks being a top five team in the West right now, there isn't really much to worry all that much about. No, and but for Edmonton, I still don't like the more I think about it. And we were talking about this driving in here today. I just I'm I don't know, I kind of feel like they're starting to get cooked here. I don't feel very good about yeah. it. But for Minnesota, they're at 14 points in 17 games, which yeah. is, it's not great. And if you look at the traditional um, four points out of Thanksgiving, they're seven points out. Yeah. Right. However, they have four games on in hand on the Seattle Kraken. Yeah. And not not that you're going to win all four of those, but let's say you even win two of those. And then you're sitting here talking about you're three points back. You're yeah. you're at 18 points, and, and you have the games made up, and you're three points back of the final playoff spot. Three points to make up after at the 21-game mark for Minnesota if they get there. Yep. Hey, that's attainable. It's not out of the realm of possibility. But last year we had these same discussions. Because I remember last year we talked about the same thing. We said, hey, the Canucks right now say seven, eight points back of the playoff bar, and none of those teams are running away with it. Yep. It gives you a chance. And it's true because those teams were around 500 but eventually, they start taking off. The separation happens. You have to start making up that ground right now. For Minnesota, if they want to buck the trend, that because last year, like Elliot mentioned, no team that was four points or more out of the playoff spot made the playoffs. Yeah. If, if that trend's going to buck this year, that means Minnesota and Calgary, who I think both have a chance at it, they got to start turning it around now. Calgary's shown some signs, right? Yep. By their standards, they've, they've picked up points in seven of their last ten. Mm-hmm. Won five of those, and for them, all of a sudden, they're they have three games in hand on Seattle, and they're five points back. Yeah. So if they if they get off to a if they can actually win a few games here, they can get themselves back into it again. Same with Minnesota. But if Edmonton honestly loses two or three more games here, and this run goes to five or six, it's done. It's over. And even for Minnesota and Calgary, like their time to make it up is now. Yeah. You have the games in hand. You have to do it right now. And the Blues, I still kind of wonder about in general. But they're starting, to, they're starting to bank points here, though, Dan. They have 18 games, 21. Let's say they play two more and win those two. Then they're sitting there at 25. And that's only two points back of where Vancouver is. This is uh, It's an absolute nightmare scenario for the Edmonton Oilers. You've got Leon Dreisaitl uh, a year and a half away from, from unrestricted free agency. Not the time to be in the tank and looking like you are further away from giving a player who wants to win that opportunity, then you are close to it. And if Dreisaitl decides, maybe Edmonton's not for me, then you've got McDavid expiring a year after that. All of a sudden, he's now wondering, well, who's going to be my running mate if we're going to go to a Stanley Cup final? I mean, it, the it's, questions can pile up real quick, as we know well here in Vancouver. It's, the, it's an existential nightmare all yes. of a sudden in Edmonton. And it's kind of like what was going on in Vancouver. And yep. it was like, should they... You know, uh, a big topic of conversation was not only should the Canucks rebuild, but should they tear it all the way down? Like, yeah. is it even worth trying to build around the Those core players The conversations here? we were having last November. Yeah, and I mean, hey, we were always on team, hey, don't trade Pedersen and Hughes. I mean, yes. it doesn't make sense to move those guys, but that was a real conversation. Now the conversation in Edmonton is so much of, hey, should you rebuild with these guys? It's more about, are they going to stay? Yeah. You know, like, is, is Bryce Settle really going to be happy there? 
and when you're losing, all those questions become fair and they become real. That's the team that has the biggest issue right now. But if we're looking at, so we looked at the West, right? Yeah. So those are the teams there. And I think for Vancouver, setting up that Seattle game, like we mentioned, it's pivotal. You have a six point lead on them, but you have a game in hand. But if you win that game, you make it eight. If you win the game in hand, that's a 10 point cushion. You should be able to maintain that cushion or allow that cushion not to be eaten up by the end of the year. You know, it's still 60-odd games to go, but a 10-point cushion, good teams, they at least maintain that gap to the end, or at least don't let the entire thing evaporate. But if Seattle wins, then it's four points. Yeah. And the Canucks have a back-to-back against San Jose. Schedule's not always easy. So yeah. four points is very attainable. So if Vancouver wants to really make sure they, they have a stranglehold in this division, that's a big swing game. So that's kind of the West you look at. The Eastern Conference, though. So right now, there are one, two, three, four, five teams, six teams that are four points or less out of a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. So they're going to challenge the whole notion of four points or less, <laughs> you know, four points more making and missing the playoffs. Like New Jersey, people had New Jersey being a playoff team. They're four points out right now. It's uh, Well, New Jersey was supposed to be a cup contender this year, and you know, they just got stumped uh, by the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, they got thumped by the Detroit Red Wings last night, and some of it is goaltending. Some of it is underperformance. I don't think anybody's ringing alarm bells on the New Jersey Devils. They are still 500 through their 17 games. There's not a ton of separation. But we knew this coming into the season with the Eastern Conference. You knew Montreal probably by the end of the year was going to end up somewhere nearer at the bottom of the standings. You felt the same about the Philadelphia Flyers, but... They've been off to a really good start so far this season. Maybe it ends eventually. Columbus wanted to be better, but they've been terrible. Mm -hmm. Everybody else wanted to be planned on being a playoff contender. I, I I don't really see too many surprises so far in the Eastern Conference. Like Even for the Islanders, who've looked very average for a lot of their season, they're right there at, at 500, 7, 6, and 5. You know, they, yeah. they find a lot. They find ways to get a lot of points in some of their games. I think the best, uh, the biggest surprise for many people, although I picked them to make the playoffs, was the Washington Capitals because they're sitting there second in their division, 16 games, 22 points, and they've won five in a row, eight out of their last ten. And one of the better defensive teams in the league so far this year, goaltending's been good. Offense hasn't really been there. But they've maybe been the biggest surprise, and the Bruins maybe being undefeated pretty much so far this season. Bruins are ridiculous, man. They've picked up 31 out of a possible 36 points so far this year. Yeah. It's remarkable, right? But from the playoff spot, like I, I still think New Jersey is a better team than Detroit. I think Pittsburgh gets in still. At Pittsburgh getting in, I still think I think they've played a lot better. They had a really horrendous start. Yeah. Their five first five or six games. Carlson's actually a lot better. Uh, he's really fit in. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it credit because you know, those that listen to the show know I was I was critical of Eric Carlson's defensive value last year, but it takes time sometimes. You know, um, he's he's fit in well on a on a top quality team. He's maintained a lot of his offensive value, and to his credit, has played a much more. Uh, He's played a much more two-way game. Yeah, he, he certainly has. And you you kind of wonder, too, guys that talented, usually with other good players, they'll figure something out to fit in. And to his credit, he's done a, a really fantastic job of that. I, I'm with you with Pittsburgh. I think they can really get themselves in there, and I think New Jersey can. The Islanders, they're going to nip at the heels. They will. As as much as they're imperfect, and we spoke, yeah. spoke to Shayna about them, with that defense, that goaltending, some star players still, 
if they get together and get hot, they can still be a team that, you know, this was last year. They were exactly in the same spot last yeah. year and then eventually got their team game together and made the postseason. But I don't really feel good about Buffalo. I don't think Ottawa's ready yet, and I think that's been a bit of a disappointment. But Buffalo's the one, too, where it's, you know, they're pretty close, but they're pretty far still at the same time. you got to be able to defend. And the Buffalo Sabres, the Ottawa Senators, for as much talent as there is on those rosters, those teams do not defend well enough. And although I think Ottawa has been a team that hasn't given up a ton of goals this year, yeah, it's just been kind of weird with them. They haven't scored at the rate I think they had hoped either. Yeah. Now, they've only played 15 games, too. Um, I mean, they do have a positive goal difference, but I, I still think they still lack a little bit on the defensive end. And yeah. uh, we saw that in the game that they played against Vancouver, but um, to be dead last right now, and they've only played 15 games. Yeah, I mean, they have I mean, they have 16 points in 15 games. Yeah. So they're not, you know, like some of those other teams that have more points at them. Like their, Buffalo their points has, percentage is somewhat... Uh, Full, uh, their lack of game somewhat uh, is what's keeping them at the bottom of the Atlantic Division. Their differentials have a plus eight goal differential too, so there are some things that are positive there overall for them. I just don't know if they're ready yet to truly be a playoff team. I think Buffalo's a disappointment because it's been rebuild upon rebuild upon rebuild, and a lot of the bluster this year about they got Tage Thompson, now got Dolly, and these guys finally going to figure it out. See, this is why you pick high. It's like, well, you guys realize that Dolly was drafted now six years ago. Yeah. It'll be seven years. If you don't make the playoffs this year, it'll be seven years since he was drafted before they made the postseason. And uh, it's still not coming together for the Buffalo Sabres right now. Uh, that's a little bit of a look around the league and where things stand at American Thanksgiving. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canucks Central.